Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor David Lindell, Executive Ministry Pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. So good to be in church together. And as you know already, we are in a season here in the life of the church where God is doing the miraculous on such an incredible scale, day in, day out, like daily stories of how God is working in such power. In fact, this last Easter weekend, I don't know if you've ever been a part of an Easter weekend where God healed so many people across the services. It's been amazing to hear the stories of that, but it was just, it was unique. It was spectacular. So fitting for the season in the life of the church that we're in. In fact, at this point in the life of the church, I don't know if you recognize this or not, but people are actually driving into the campuses, to different campuses, because they're hearing about God's presence, God's power, what God is doing in our midst. So for instance, last weekend, a family, not just a person, a family flew from Alaska to be a part of Easter weekend services because the dad has a cancer in his esophagus. And so he said, you know, I've had surgery, but I really need a miraculous touch from the Lord. And so they came not just to be a part of the service, but specifically to be prayed over that God would heal him. Since they were here, we got an update. Since he's here, he's had, he's had incredible pain through this process. Has to have patches on his throat, um, has to take pain meds to be able to rest and sleep. Since being in the service, has not had to take any pain meds or wear the patches. So he's, he's anticipating God has totally healed his body, which is so, so, so exciting. But I just want to give you a sampling of some of the stories that have come in in the last couple of days because you need to know what God is doing. This person, her name is Maddie, she writes this. I went home for a routine eye appointment to get new contact lenses. My doctor said that my optic nerves looked swollen and that she thought it was very possible I had a brain tumor. I was recommended to a specialist. The next day, I got in for an appointment and confirmed the same thing. I had a brain tumor. A few days later, I got a third opinion, also agreed that there was a tumor. I came back from school from spring break, knowing it was not a coincidence that we were kicking off the 10 days of prayer and fasting. There was prayer with multiple people that I was able to be a part of. I prayed and fasted all week. On Friday, I went back home, got an MRI. Throughout the whole process, I have had this calming, unexplainable peace from God, continued to pray and fast through the weekend. When I got the results back on Monday night from the MRI, I read the results. It said, no sign of a tumor. God has healed me. Come on. That's so exciting. That's amazing. Then Garrett. Garrett writes this. I received a text from one of my employees at work. Said he'd be a few minutes late this morning. Made, uh, he made it in time for our staff meeting and explained that ever since he was put on a new medication, he has started to have severe heartburn and is not able to swallow food because it gets stuck in his throat. I said, well, you made it in time for prayer. So this is at work. It's like, hey, we're gonna have a prayer meeting real quick. He needs healing, let's pray. So that's what they did. We prayed for him to be healed in the name of Jesus in our meeting. A couple weeks later, he pulled me aside. He said, I'd like to pause for a moment and let you know something. Ever since you prayed for me a couple of weeks ago, I've had no heartburn and food is not being stuck in my throat. All glory be to God. He's our healer. 
God is healing. Then this last one, Caleb says, for the past five years, I've had pain, a painful injury in my hip. The last several, couple years, it's really gotten debilitating for me. I can no longer run. I can't put on my own socks. I can't clip my toenails. I can't, you know, I have a lot of trouble getting in the passenger side of any vehicle without pain and have little range of motion. I went to the doctor for an x-ray recently. It showed deterioration in my hip joint and a growth on the end of the joint preventing full range of motion. It has been super discouraging and I was planning to have surgery soon. Tonight, my wife and I went to the prayer meeting, but I came through the doors sad and depressed, feeling off. I knew I needed some kind of miracle. When Pastor John asked for people who needed healing to step into the aisle, I, I stepped into the aisle to be prayed for, believing that God would heal my hip. As I was prayed for, warmth came through my whole leg. I walked back to my seat, noticing I had no pain. I was able to rotate both of my hips in a way that would otherwise cause pain. When I walked out of the doors of the church, I ran for the first time in over a year. God is alive and doing miracles. Come on, let's celebrate the goodness of God this morning. No golf clap for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's make some noise. Father, we praise your name. We celebrate you. You're the wonder-working God. You're doing awesome and mighty things in our midst. We praise you. We exalt you. We bring you our best praise today. God is at work, church, for we praise your name. That's so, so, so exciting. God is moving. God is healing. God is working. You can grab your seat. And what a fitting introduction for jumping back into our series, Power Today. Because we are watch, watching God put his power on display today, present tense, in the life of the church, across all of the campuses. For those watching online, he's moving in the lives of people watching online, and it's so exciting. And today we're gonna move into Acts chapter seven. But because we've been away from the book of Acts for a couple of weeks, I just wanna remind you what's happening that there is a man named Stephen that we met in Acts chapter six. And we learned some things about Stephen, that Luke, the writer of Acts, says he's full of the Holy Spirit, that he's full of faith, he's full of wisdom, that he, he walks with a supernatural grace on his life. And so he's teaching about Jesus, he's talking about Jesus, and signs and wonders are accompanying him. There's the power of God flowing through him. The problem is that this is rubbing some people the wrong way, namely the religious establishment of first century Judaism. That they're not happy about the proclamation of Jesus. They're unhappy about the signs and wonders that accompany Stephen's words. And so they confront him. But in Acts chapter six and verse 10, we learn some things about Stephen. Namely, that when they confront him, he speaks in a way that they could not resist the wisdom and the spirit of the spirit with which he spoke. There is a, such a wisdom that accompanies his life and the Holy Spirit and the presence of God on his life that they can't refute him. But in verse 14, that doesn't keep them from levying charges against him. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And so between that and verse 11, what you're gonna find out is they've leveled four charges against Stephen. 
that he's blasphemed against God, against Moses, against the Mosaic law, and he has blasphemed also against the temple. Now, for a first century Jew, if you've done all four of those things, you've covered your bases. Like there, you cannot blaspheme any more than that. This means that because these charges have been laid at his feet and they're not accepting his rebuttal, he is really on trial with a threat of capital punishment hanging over his head simply for speaking about Jesus. And this catches us up all the way to chapter seven and verse one. When we looked at chapter six, we talked about being full of power. And what I want you to recognize is as we move to, through chapter seven, that when a person is full of power, their words will be filled with power. We're gonna look at the words of a power-filled person. But what kicks off the entire passage is that the high priest looks at Stephen and says, what do you have to say for yourself? Look at this in verse one. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? Now the, the answer is they're not true. The answer is no, he didn't say any of that. He hasn't blasphemed the law. He hasn't blasphemed Moses. He hasn't blasphemed God. He hasn't blasphemed the temple. So Stephen in this moment, it would be fitting for him to mount a personal defense and rebuttal of himself, especially since there is the threat of capital punishment hanging over his head. But instead, he does something totally different. Instead of going on defense, Stephen goes on offense. And we're gonna watch his response to the charges and to this question because Stephen is not interested in defending himself. He's interested in pointing people to Jesus. And the first thing we see in his response or from his response is that Stephen in this moment saw the opportunity for boldness. Stephen saw the opportunity for boldness. Look at verse two. He says, to this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. In other words, I've got a story to tell, but what we're gonna find out is it's not a story about him, it's a story for them that he, he knows that they need to hear certain truths. And so he says, brothers and fathers, listen to me. That Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, he is doing what every Christian is told to do by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to, to you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That in any moment that you and I should be ready. That when somebody says, you know what, I've noticed this about your life. When somebody says, why do you do this? When somebody says, oh, why won't you go there? Or somebody says, oh, really, you don't watch that? You know, you should be able to, in that moment, to recognize, okay, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for me to be bold for the cause of Christ. What am I gonna say? Am I ready? My question to you is, are you ready? Stephen is ready. But the reason he's ready, it's not a coincidence. It's not that he knew this moment was coming for a long time and so he studied up. Instead, he was prepared for this moment by being full of the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts chapter six and verse five. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. Stephen was full of the Spirit, so he was ready for the opportunity. You're gonna have people 
This week, I know there are gonna be people God puts in your path who want nothing to do with God, who maybe, like the people that Stephen is addressing, are angry. Maybe they're antagonistic. Maybe they're derogatory about you or your faith. And in that moment, we can be prone, especially when people are angry, when people are antagonistic, we can think, well, this isn't, this isn't the right opportunity. This isn't the opportunity that I would want. This isn't the opportunity. I think this is certainly, if you ask Stephen, would you rather present the gospel to somebody who's like, tell me what must I do to be saved? Or people are like, they're ready to kill you. Which would you pick? I think Stephen would pick the first category. But Stephen doesn't get choosy in the moment. Stephen says, you know what? It's not for me to pick the opportunity. It's my job to step into the opportunity. It's my job to say, God, I'm ready. And here's the thing. The way you recognize the opportunity is by being full of the Holy Spirit. If you're not full of the Holy Spirit, you won't see the opportunity for what it is. You won't see it. And Stephen, you can wonder, okay, in this moment, how does he do what he does? Because as you walk through this passage, it's mind-blowing all of the things, the connections that he makes and the things that he says to them. And you're like, well, where did he get all of that? He's taken hold of the promise of Jesus. Jesus said, you don't have to be worried when people are antagonistic, when people are out, you know, they're, they're out to get you or they're, they don't like you. You don't have to be worried about that because Luke chapter 12, verse 11, Jesus says, when you're brought before synagogues or rulers or authorities, i.e. to stand trial, don't worry about what you will say to defend yourselves or what you will say for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Here's the thing, we can look at a situation, you can look at a person and say, oh, they're not ready, they're not interested, they're angry, they're emotionally charged, and we could misread that as, God isn't working in this moment, this is an opportunity I should take. But how many of you know that what you see on the surface doesn't tell the whole story? That what you see on the surface is not the end of the story. The fact of the matter is, they might be angry and antagonistic because the Holy Spirit's already been working on them. And you're showing up at just the right time with a message of hope about a God who loves them, sees them, cares about them, and is ready to work in their life. But you've got to see an opportunity for boldness to boldly proclaim the good news about Jesus. Here's the thing, Stephen doesn't only see the opportunity, he moves from the opportunity or dives into the opportunity by pointing out what they missed. He saw what they had missed. Now when I say what they had missed, what do I mean by that? The reality is this, he's walking full of the Holy Spirit and when you or I are walking full of the Holy Spirit, we're gonna see things differently. You're going to see things that other people don't see. You're going to see situations, and you're going to have a read on those situations because the Holy Spirit is going to speak to your heart. This is one of the great advantages of walking with the Holy Spirit and walking full of the Holy Spirit. You do life differently, and things that you might miss otherwise, you don't miss. Why? Because the Holy Spirit touches your heart. The Holy Spirit speaks to you. The Holy Spirit gives you wisdom for the situation. That's what Stephen gets right here. He sees what they have missed because he's full of the Holy Spirit, but he addresses the situation. He addresses the accusations in a way that could seem very strange. What do I mean by that? He tells a story. 
he tells a story to this group of people about Israel's history. Now, here's the head scratcher. This would be like you walking to a room, into a room filled with uh, PhD historians. I'm assuming you don't have a PhD in any branch of history, but if you do, you would be well qualified for this. This is for everybody else. So if you walked into a room filled with PhD level historians and you said, hey guys, I want to tell you a little bit about history. Just hang on for a second. Buckle your safety belts. Here it comes. It would be like that. He's talking to the intellects of the day. He's talking to the keepers of Israel's historical religious narrative through the centuries. He is addressing them and he says, I'm going to tell you a story and he's going to give them a 30,000 foot flyover of Israel's history. Sounds odd. But he recognizes that in all of their study, in all of the information that they've accumulated, they've missed something critical to understanding what God wants to do in their lives. They've missed something that in all their, in all their learning, there's something that they've forgotten or that they haven't seen. They've missed. And there are two themes that Stephen's going to camp on through the, the verses that we're going to look at next. He's going to say they missed the point of God's promise. They missed the point of the promise. He's also going to say that they missed the pattern of God's people throughout history. And the way that he's going to illustrate both of the things they missed is he's going to talk about three characters from the Old Testament. He's going to talk about Abraham. Some of you are familiar with Abraham from Sunday school. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had five. Oh, we could do this. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, left. Some of you are doing the motions. I love you so much. I love that. I don't know what right arm, left arm has anything to do with Father Abraham. I think that was just the Sunday school teacher trying to work all the energy out of the kids. Like, let's lift our arms, you know? Father Abraham. So, so now you know who Abraham is. He's the, he's the father of the Jewish faith. So he's going to start with Abraham because he's really important to them. He's also going to talk about Joseph, coat of many colors. So this is the guy who goes down into Egypt and actually he, Pharaoh puts him in charge and he stores up resources that really save the people in the middle of a dramatic famine. So that's Joseph. Then he talks about Moses, formerly known as, uh, for, to you as Charlton Heston, more recently Christian Bale, parter of the Red Seas, deliverer of God's people out of Egypt. So these are the three, you know, if you like Charlton Heston better than Christian Bale, that's on you. You know, like we'd sort that out later. The point is they knew him as the deliverer. They knew him as the guy who God had worked powerfully through to lead his people toward the promised land. These are three powerful figures. And so Stephen pulls his examples from them to talk about what they missed. And first he says, you missed the point of God's promise. And he goes straight to Abraham. Look at verse two. He says, to this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. The reason he calls out Mesopotamia is to highlight the fact that God is talking to Abraham before he's ever in the Holy Land. In fact, Mesopotamia, this is a great distance. Abraham's not even living close to the land. But for in popular thinking and in the thinking of those Stephen is talking to, the promise was the land. The promise was the temple. Stephen says, no, no, no. 
God is working before the land is ever inhabited, before you ever had the land. In fact, when you look at verse five, look at what he says. He gave him no inheritance here. He had no inheritance in the land, not even enough ground to set his foot on, but God promised. So God is speaking promises to Abraham, even though he's not in the promised land, even though he's not in the holy land. He's already speaking. He's already talking to Abraham. And he wants these guys to recognize that, that, God, that the promise of God is not tied up. The end, the end goal was not a piece of property. The end goal was not a, the temple. The temple was not meant to be a permanent institution. They've bound up all of their religious hopes. What they've said is, we have a special connection to God because we live in the promised land and we've got the temple and therefore it eliminated the need for Jesus. Stephen says, that wasn't the touchdown line of the promise of God. It wasn't just about the land. It wasn't just about the temple. Those things were pointing to something greater. That's why he quotes Isaiah 66. When you drop down to verse 47, he says, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. God cannot be boxed in. God cannot be contained. That place where you worship, he says to them, the temple, oh, it's special, but it wasn't the end goal. That God's promise was ultimately not about a piece of property, is that he was going to take up residence in people. This is why what Paul says is so significant in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. God is promised long ago that he was going to take up residence among his people. They thought that that would be housed in the temple because of their hardness of heart. They didn't see the fact that God wanted to take up residence in them, that Jesus came to open the door for the Holy Spirit to inhabit individual people. And so if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. It's been well said in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people, but in the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. God lives in you. They had missed the point of the promise. They thought it was land. They thought it was the temple building, but it was about God taking up residence in his people and Jesus made the way. But not only had they missed that, they had also missed the fact that there was a pattern, a very negative pattern that had been a established in the life of Old Testament Israel. And so when they rejected Jesus, it's shocking on the one hand, but it's no surprise on the other. Why? Because they had consistently rejected the deliverers that God had sent. When you read the Old Testament, you see this, but Stephen says, you know what? I'll give you a few examples. Let's talk about Joseph, the coat of many colors. Let's talk about him because the patriarchs were jealous. This is Joseph's brothers who would become the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel were jealous of Joseph. They sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him to rescue him from his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and the palace. Then famine struck Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers for their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. In other words, they rejected him from the start and didn't recognize him till the end. 
their initial response was rejection to the deliverer that God was raising up. Also true with Moses. Look at what Stephen says about Moses. He says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people. And Stephen says, the response is not good. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense to avenge him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. They didn't recognize it. Stephen's saying, okay, you have to understand, you're missing the fact God is speaking, God is leading, God is sending you people. He's been doing it for centuries, but we have a pattern of missing out on what God is doing. We have a pattern, uh, and we, we are, you're not even seeing the pattern. You're not even seeing the problem within the nation's history. Again and again and again we do this, so it's no surprise that we're doing this with Jesus. It's no surprise that this is happening right now, because you keep doing that. So Stephen gets down to the end of this point. He's talked about Joseph. He's talked about Moses. And look what he says directly to them. You stiff-necked people. Stephen is a soft touch on preaching, by the way. <laughs> your hearts and your ears are uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Stephen says, you've missed the pattern, so it's no surprise that you missed the Messiah that God sent, this is the fulfillment of who Joseph was a type of and Moses was a type of. They weren't the ultimate. He was sending a redeemer and yet because you've established a pattern of rejecting where God is leading, rejecting what God is speaking, rejecting who God is sending, now you've rejected Jesus. And there's a powerful spiritual principle in what Stephen is saying here. That if any one of us gets comfortable silencing the voice of God, there comes a moment where we'll no longer hear the voice of God. That if you get comfortable allowing yourself to tune out God's voice, oh, God put his finger on that relationship and said, don't pursue that. The way you're doing this is all wrong. You're going about it wrong. Sleeping with your girlfriend, that's not my plan. It's not my best for you. And you said, I don't want to hear that voice. And you turned it right down. I don't want to hear that. Or God said, God spoke to your heart about a habit. And he said, you know what? You, this has become a staple in your life and it doesn't belong in your life. It's not helping you. It's not drawing you close to me. It's hurting you. I want you to get rid of it. And you turned it down. Or it could be that there is resentment in your heart. There's bitterness about a situation. It happened a long time ago and you've carried it. You keep carrying it. And God says, keep, he says, lay it down, lay it down, let it go. I can handle it. You need to let it go. And you keep on holding on to it. If you hold on to what God has told you to let go of, you cannot experience the freedom he has for you. If you won't let go of it, you can't know the wholeness that he has for you. God wants you to know wholeness. God wants you to know freedom. God wants you to know the fullness of his work in your life. But you can't know the fullness of what he wants to do in you if you don't listen to what he's speaking to you. 
And the, the sad thing is there comes a moment when you don't even recognize the voice of God. You don't even know if is God speaking, isn't he speaking? You're confused and it comes down to a, the fact that you've allowed your heart to get hard. You can allow your heart to get hard. So what the writer of Hebrews says, look at this in Hebrews chapter three, remember what it says today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Israel's pattern is a picture of what can happen in the life of any person. That if you don't respond to the voice of God, at some point you can't recognize the voice of God because you become so comfortable sidelining the voice of God. And this is particularly urgent for people in this room who have come in to any one of the campuses and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking, you've heard the gospel, maybe you grew up in a Christian home, you've been around the things of God, you've been around it enough to know about it, but you've never stepped over the precipice of a relationship with him where you say, I don't just know about it, I know him. But because of your familiarity with the things of God, because you've heard the message and heard the message and heard the message, every time, every time you hear it, it becomes a little less poignant. Why? Because there's a hardness developing in your heart. And for you, there will come a day, unless you respond to what God is speaking, unless you respond to how God is calling you, there will come a day where you can no longer hear his voice. And it'll be over. Stephen says, the principle that you see from Old Testament Israel is they had allowed a pattern to develop in their lives that ultimately kept them from seeing Jesus for who he is. If we want to see Jesus for who he is, and we want his power to be at work in us, and we want to be moved forward in the plan of God for our lives, then every time he speaks, we've got to be quick to respond. Because he's always speaking. So Stephen... What did he see? He saw the opportunity for boldness. He also saw what they had missed, but this is powerful. He also saw the glory of God. He saw the glory of God. So he is now indicted in his trial. He's turned the tables on them and he's indicted the nation. He's indicted the religious establishment. He said, you've missed out on what God was doing and their response is, anger. Look at verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. If you don't know about stoning, stoning is an ancient form of execution. As they drove him off the Temple Mount, out of the gate, they found they would likely find about a 10-foot precipice, and they would throw him off the precipice, hoping that he would be injured, or likely would be injured, not able to be very mobile, and then they would begin chucking stones over that ledge in hopes that he would very soon die, but also meant to prolong the agony. And so they would throw stones at the victim until they crushed the life out of them. Stephen is being stoned outside of the city. 
Meanwhile, witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, some of you might not be used to that language from scripture. That language is a euphemism for death. Stephen isn't peacefully falling asleep, but he is peacefully entering into eternity. So interesting, you've got this man, Stephen, and he's at the end of his life with seconds left in his life on this earth, and he's standing tall, he's speaking the truth, he's talking to Jesus, he's seeing the glory of God, he's forgiving his enemies. I just ask you, how is that possible? Because if you're gonna die like that, you gotta live like that. This is perhaps the most intense situation that any person could ever face. And if he can do that in this situation, in the situations represented across the campuses today, across those who are watching online in this room, if he can do that right there, then there is no situation that you could possibly face. And I realize there are some hard seasons going on in here. There may be people and you feel like you're up against it. Can I tell you, you can be up against it, yet you can sense the presence of God, the peace of God, the power of God. You can walk in the glory of God in the midst of that moment in trial. That's possible, church. God doesn't want you to go it alone. He wants to give you a supernatural peace, just like Stephen has in this moment. How does he live like that? How can you live like that? The answer is it's not a mystery. In fact, it's clearly in the text. It actually bookends this passage of scripture. Chapter seven, verse two, Stephen starts this narrative by saying these words. To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The glory of God appeared. Where does he start in his telling of history? He starts with the glory of God because for him, it's all about the glory of God. The history of the nation of Israel is about the glory of God. History itself is about the glory of God. And Stephen's life is about the glory of God. He recognizes that's what it's all about. That's what life is all about. That's what the narrative of redemption is all about. It's all about the glory of God. So it shouldn't surprise us that when we get down to chapter seven and verse 55, it says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The principle is this. You will see the glory of God when you live for the glory of God. You will see the glory of God. I don't know what your story is, but God wants to show you his glory in ways that you can't begin to imagine. But it doesn't happen unless your life is about the glory of God. Because you only see it if that's what you live for. So I guess the question would be, what does it mean to live for the glory of God? And in looking at Stephen, we have a prime example. When you go back to chapter six, 
What did we learn about Stephen and what do we see right here? Oh, well, there we go. They're, back, they're, they're very fast back there. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked up intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. He's literally radiating the presence of God. But in verse 55 of chapter seven, what does it say? It says he saw the glory of God, but he was, it also mentions again, Luke can't help but get in one more mention of the way Stephen lived. He lived full of the Holy Spirit. That idea of being full of the Holy Spirit is to be driven, to be led by, to be dominated. So here's the thing, Stephen lives in a way where he's fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. His life isn't about him. His life is about what God wants to do in him and what God wants to do through him. If you say, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, but your life isn't fully surrendered to God, you're not as full as you need to be. Because God wants you fully surrendered to him because it's when a person is fully surrendered to God's purposes, God's plan, and God's power that they see God's glory. Stephen saw God's glory because he was fully surrendered, because he was full of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, there's one very unique phrase in these final verses. It says that Stephen gazed into heaven, and what did he say? He said, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Why is that interesting? Because uniformly in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father. Because when he completed his work on the cross and he rose from the dead, he sat down. It was a sign that it is finished, it is done, it is accomplished. But in this moment, as Stephen, the first Christian martyr, is dying, being executed under false charges for identifying with Jesus, Stephen says, I see Jesus standing. Here's the picture. Jesus rises to take hold of his own. Jesus said this, if you acknowledge me before people, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. You know what he's saying? Jesus is saying, hey, Stephen, meet God the Father. I want to acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. God, I want you to meet, Father, I want you to meet Stephen. He's a man who's full of the Holy Spirit. He's lived a life on fire. He's followed your plan. He's loved your people. He's been passionate about the calling you put on his life. Now let's welcome him into, into glory with a standing ovation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You did your part. God honors you. God loves you. And he welcomes him into eternity. It's a powerful image. It's the image of somebody who lives their life for the glory of God. Let's pray together.